New beginnings may be uncomfortable. As you know, the theme is forgiveness again and change life. And I told you the issue. There was stealing from a slave master. And you know, the slave master had the right to kill, imprison, beat, do whatever he wanted to his slave because his slave was not, was, not, was not human. He was just property. We talked about how despicable that was. Onesimus lived in a world, he was the slave, where he was an outcast. An outcast, but he came in contact with the outcast lover, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life was changed. His life was changed. Remember, Tychius was, was, was a friend of Paul. He was to take Onesimus back to Philemon to make restoration, make rested reconciliation. It was going to be a dangerous journey because there were slave searchers, people that would try to catch the escaped slaves and bring them into bondage and bring them back to their masters to be either killed or beaten. So Tychius is risking his life. He's uncomfortable in this whole process. But with Tychius, he has a letter to Philemon. Pleading with Philemon, if you look at the word usage here, the way that Paul talks, he is putting heavy pressure on Philemon to forgive, to forgive. Now there's an important point here that I want you to get. Paul speaking to Philemon, this will be our first one up on board. A changed Onesimus, changed by Christ, is asking you to forgive and to restore Philemon, to forgive him and to restore him. He's now a brother. Now, I want to talk to you about something. I mentioned, talked about forgiveness last week. Forgiveness and restoration are not the same thing. We are called to forgive, but restoration depends on both parties being willing to do the work to make the relationship work. So an important point, that's an important point. Uh, many people desire to be forgiven, now I think you know this to be true, have remorse but are not really changed. They have not dealt with the underlying issues and returned to their old ways over and over and over. And we call this an abusive pattern. I have an overhead here that just kind of show you what this looks like. This is the cycle of abuse. Now look at everything can be going great and wonderful for all the time. You've made your apologies, promises, you've given gifts and that sort of thing. But as the tension increases, this is where manipulation comes in, passive-aggressive behavior comes in, anger comes in, and the tensions are growing. And then finally there's an explosion, there's the acting out, there's the fight. I'm going to do what I want to do. And the person on the receiving end is the one that is brutalized. And then there is remorse which isn't in this picture, and then all the apologies and the promises and all that stuff go on again. Now, the important thing here is promises without action means nothing. Okay, do you understand that? Promises without action doesn't mean a thing. means nothing. No change. We cannot restore until the root issues are dealt with. That's an important thing to remember. Forgiveness by the hurt party can be given to free the hurt party from the tortures. And we talked about that last week. That is why God asks us to forgive. Sometimes it's, it's forgiving the impossible. And we talked about rape and we talked about murder. The impossible things that the Spirit of God has to give that to you. As he did Corey Ten Boom. We use that as our example when Betsy was killed. And she had to forgive the killers of Betsy. Impossible in the natural but not through the Spirit. Folks, you can be changed. Anybody can be changed. Restoration is not automatic. 
Real change must be demonstrated over time. Saying that I'm going to be a good boy now and not do this anymore, a good girl now and not do this anymore, doesn't mean anything if the cycle has been over and over and over. There must be proof. Must be proof over time for the, for the restoration to occur. The abuser and the abused must get help and not be in denial. Okay, denial is a huge thing to break this cycle. Paul is telling Philemon, I want you to forgive. I want you to grace Onesimus. I want you to restore relationship with, with, with Onesimus. Not just forgive him, but restore the relationship. That's a whole step farther. So listen to this. We are called to be like the master who has forgiven us much to be changed. A person can act in their new nature and resist the old nature. Why? Because of the Spirit of God resident within you. You can do this. It is possible. Now I want to suggest to you something, just a little sidelight. Many people view God to be stern and rigid and harsh and even mean and unfair. Have you ever heard people say that or think that way? I think they do. They think they do. This is a faulty view of God. This is a faulty view of God. Couldn't be farther from the truth. Hear David the psalmist in Psalm 103, verses 8 and 10. Watch what he says. The Lord is merciful and gracious. This is who God is. Merciful and gracious. Slow to anger. Abounding in love. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor repaid us according to our iniquities. He has been merciful and gracious to us, and that is how we are to be with others. And I, I want to suggest this to you also. God is much more gracious and merciful than you would ever be. Guess what? If I was God, uh, uh, you're done. Uh, no more chances for you. You're, be thankful that we are not, thank, that's right, we are not God. We are not God. Now what is grace? You know what it is. It's defined as unmerited, unearned favor of God. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. Now who are the undeserving? All of us are the undeserving. That's right, but God graces us. He graces us. And he's saying to Philemon, God has graced you. The master has graced you. And I'm asking you to grace Onesimus. Give him a fresh start. Forgive him. Forgive him. Just like we have been forgiven. Look at God has graced us. May we be people of grace and mercy to others. Because we have received much. Fresh starts, new starts are God's forte. People, but listen to this. You can be graced and you can be mercied. Because God is in you. There is hope for every single situation that you may be in. There is hope. God is a master at startovers. You realize that? You had, how many startovers did you have in your life? 10, 20, 30, 40. I mean, you can't count them. He's a master at startovers. But people have to be willing to do the work to change. If they aren't willing to do the work to change, then relationships can't be restored. We can forgive, but they can't be restored. There has to be reciprocity. There has to be work by both parties. 
Remember, forgiveness sets you free from the torturers, but doesn't mean that you have to stay in the torture cycle. You are to detach yourself from that until help is, get, is received by the person that is hurting you. Fresh starts are available to all. Paul met Jesus, and he had a fresh start, didn't he, on the road to Damascus. Dramatic. Dramatic. Light shining, falling down. You know, Saul saw who you're persecuting. Philemon had a fresh start when he was introduced to Jesus. Onesimus had a fresh start. A slave running away, a thief. And he was introduced to Jesus. Fresh start. And I can guarantee someone introduced you to Jesus. And you had a fresh start. And I want to say this loud and clear. The grace of God knows no bounds. Knows no bounds. The hymn writer Julia H. Johnson wrote this in 1910. You're familiar with it. God's grace is greater than all our sin. All of our sin. Marvelous grace of our loving God. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's Mount on Porto. There where the blood of the Lamb was spilled. Don't sing it. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. And I love this. Grace that is greater than some of our sin? No, it's all of our sin. Grace, folks, brings restoration and new beginnings and change. And remember, only change can restore. If you want to keep the cycle going, the abuse cycle, and that change, then, then you are in for a miserable, miserable life. Get the help that you need and change. This week we're talking about new beginnings are going to be uncomfortable. It's always uncomfortable to change. It's always uncomfortable to change your script. Philemon's going to feel uncomfortable. Verses 8 through 11. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you. Notice the language here. Notice the pressure that Paul the Apostle, Paul the one that led Philemon to Christ, Paul the one that is in all the authority, is using this language. Command you what is fitting. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. Being such a one as Paul, the aged, and also the prisoner. So he's working on a little poor me. <laughs> aged and the prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten, who I led to Christ, while in my chains, while I was in prison. Now, Paul is seeking to deal with something here that we all have to have dealt with, and that is our soul. Remember what your soul is. It's your feelings and emotions, Philemon. We are made in the image of God with feelings and emotions. That is what our soul is. Now, I have a picture here. You've seen this in past teachings, if you've been here at any length of time. Our spirit is, we are born dead with a dead spirit. Remember, everyone that is born into this world is born with a dead spirit. When you receive Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God comes resonant within, and that is what is called born again. Your spirit. Now that you have a spirit, you can do something that the rest of the world can't do. You can make faith choices instead of flesh choices. This is renewed. This, is re this, is, this gives you life, connection with the living God. Gives you the ability to make choices. But your soul, your mind, will, emotions, thoughts, feelings, all this part, this has not been redeemed. The spirit can give influence this or the flesh can influence your soul how you think. The one you feed is the one that will dominate. 
This will be a constant fight between the body, between the flesh and the spirit, controlling our thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Now, with that stated and that said, I want to develop this a little further. We are all made in the image of God. With the fall, our feelings and emotions became tainted. Now, you think your feelings and emotions are all just wonderful and just cheery and just perfect? Guarantee you, no, Mr. Gorham, no, it is not that. No, uh-uh. We are controlled in a great way by our old nature. Even after salvation, yes, even after salvation, we struggle with this. So what must we rely on? The facts of what we've been taught in the Word of God. We believe it by faith. Don't trust your feelings. Nothing more than feelings. Okay, don't trust those. Don't trust those. Now remember, you have a conscience. Every human is born with a conscience. Remember, con, with, shunts, knowledge. With knowledge, we know what is right. Your conscience can be good. It can be pure. It can be seared, which means like with a hot iron, ignoring God, or defiled, be smeared with filth. And I would say to you, don't trust a besmeared, seared conscience. A, and, a, and a Christian can have a besmeared, defiled conscience. If you walk away from God enough, your conscience will just become numb. It'll become numb, and no longer you're going to feel that conviction, that sadness that happens. Hey, that can be restored in a second. Remember, God is great at what? Start overs, new beginnings, new beginnings. So do not trust your feelings if they conflict with fact and faith. Do not allow your feelings to rule you. Remember what drives the train. Fact, the Word of God and what He tells me. I believe it by faith. Sometimes my feelings will be in, appropriate, in line with the fact and the faith, but I can tell you there's a lot of times my feelings are not in line. Particularly, like you know what I'm going to say next, when I'm driving down I-94, <laughs> my feelings are, are coming to, my soulish is not working very well. And then my Holy Spirit substitute who's sitting next to me in the car tells me to calm down, Rick. Calm down. And I thank my God for my bride. Yes, I do. Feelings are fickle. Do not let your feelings rule your life. And I want to suggest to you something. Feelings are the enemy of being productive. And feelings are the enemy of change. How so? How so? How so? Feelings can kill progress. Feelings are the enemy of success. Feelings are the enemy of change. An important thing is here. If facts and faith conflict with my feelings, I do not follow my feelings. I have to make a choice. Will I follow the things that are true or will I not? Will I not? Paul says, I appeal to you, my son Onesimus. He was once unprofitable, a useless thief, but now he's profitable because he's been born again. He's profitable to me, and he's going to be profitable to you, Philemon. Paul wanted the Holy Spirit to convict Philemon of forgiveness and restoring the relationship, not to rely on his feelings. Do you think Philemon was all cheery about this guy that stole from him and then ran off? 
You think that was a wonderful feeling in him, or you think he wanted a little bit of retribution? I would think a little retribution. So he makes an appeal to him. That word appeal is parakaleo, similar to the Holy Spirit, parakaleto. He's coming alongside us. The Spirit of God, the paraclete, comes alongside of us to comfort us, guide us, guard, guard us and guide us. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. Folks, you can act differently than your old nature. You can act in the new nature. You can, because the Spirit of God is resident within. The Spirit of God will guard us from acting in our old nature, strengthen us to act in our new nature, and yes, 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 you can change your script. What do we mean by script? The way that you respond to life continually. I can change the way that I respond to different pressure situations. How? By yielding to the Holy Spirit by dwelling in Christ, by spending more time with Him, and my spiritual man growing, and my fleshly man, who always wants to be in control, becoming less dominant. We're going to be talking about that more in just a second. Paul the aged, aged, Paul the prisoner, Paul who led Philemon to Christ, wants Philemon to let Onesimus go free. You have been freed, Philemon, by the Lord Jesus. Now you free Onesimus. The Holy Spirit, folks, is in Philemon to guide him, to, to give forgiveness, even if it's uncomfortable. Now there's something that you can count on in this process of forgiveness and restoration. You can just rely on this happening to you. you, can, you this, 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 this is so routine. Your old man will want to dominate your new man and not want to forgive, and not want to restore. So we are called to go beyond our feelings, and even if it's uncomfortable, we are to forgive. The Holy Spirit will lead you always, I think, in uncomfortable waters, because He's dealing with getting us back on track and in line. In line. And I want to suggest to you something. All of us here are in ministry. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are in ministry. What does that mean? It just simply means service. Some level of service to our Lord. And I believe this with all of my heart. When God gets hold of a person, He never allows it to be comfortable for you. He's always stretching. When you're being conformed to the likeness of Christ and changing your script from the old you to the new you, that's always uncomfortable. That stretching is uncomfortable, but he asks us to do it. Paul is increasing the pressure. Onesimus, the enslaved by the kingdom of darkness, Satan, has been freed by Christ. Just like you, Philemon, you have been set free. Now set Onesimus free, just like the master did. Folks, we've all been enslaved by the kingdom of darkness. You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world, this world system, and the devil, the master enslaver. But you can make a faith choice over a flesh choice because the Spirit of God dwells in you. It's up to you to make that choice. Now what in the world is our flesh? Well, you look it up in the Zodiac's Greek text, and the word is sarx, S-A-R-X. And it simply means it can mean your body, the flesh that we're housed in, 
But it also means this, and I think this is what they're referring to. The corrupt nature of man subject to the filthy appetites and passions of humanity. We all have them. Our flesh is strong. Your Christian life is all about change. It'll come up on the screen. Flesh, flesh driven to spirit driven. Your flesh, and hear this, will fight against any uncomfortable change. You want to make changes in your life? You want to do what is right? It's going to be a fight. It is not going to be easy because your flesh wants its way. The flesh is all about the status quo. Don't bother me. Leave me alone. Let me have my way. That is Mr. and Mrs. Flesh. Don't rock the flesh boat. And you know this and I know this. The flesh dies hard. The flesh dies. You try to overcome past behaviors and past ways. It dies hard. It always wants its own way. The flesh always wants to pop back up into control. And you've rec rec met this guy before. Mr. Flesh, ready to pop up. Dun, 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 dun. Pop goes the flesh. Yeah, right there. And this dude right here, he can happen at the most crazy times. I mean, you can have the most spiritual time with God. Be in the Word. And I've given this example, so I'll do this for the 12,000th time. You know, I am just finished my Bible study. I'm having this great time with God. I go out to cut the grass, and I'm plowing along, and I hit the rock. And before you know it, it's... I am in the flesh, and what is coming out of me is not words that people could, should hear. And immediately I go, oh, Lord, I mean, what is wrong with me? Well, the flesh dies hard. The flesh always wants its way. The flesh... The only way to deal with the flesh, Mr. and Mrs. Flesh, is to crucify it. That's a rough term, isn't it? This isn't something you just, just, just mess around with. A little, little, little bit of dealing with the flesh. Crucify it. Galatians 5.24 And those who are Christ's, who belong to Christ, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That, were, that have crucified is written in the active voice. Might not mean anything to you, but the active voice is the subject that performs the action of the verb. It means that you are the subject. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You, because the power of God is in you, are to say no to Mr. or Mrs. Flesh and yes to the spiritual aspect. As our spiritual person grows, the flesh always wants control but it will wither. It will wither. The flesh dies hard. It keeps coming back. Recognize this. Now, the flesh is finally killed. Remember this. We will be in this struggle until we die. We will never have total victory over the flesh. I mean, just look at the way your brain works. I mean, all of a sudden, wow, where did that come from? I'm embarrassed by that. You don't want somebody to be able to read your mind. Believe me, it just, things come flying in, you're going, I can't believe that thought came in. That will never be fully dealt with until we are glorified. You know, remember the three phases of salvation. The moment that you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were justified. Free from the penalty of sin. Declared righteous. Jesus' righteousness was credited to you. Phase two was sanctification. You and God together. 
working to be set apart unto God, to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, free from the power of sin. And then the third phase is glorification, the state of perfection, free from the presence of sin, forever not temptable. Isn't that going to be wonderful? That's all I can say. It's going to be wonderful. I don't know how your brain works, but my brain, I am. It's disgusting. Paul is making an uncomfortable appeal to Philemon to go against his feelings of retribution. But it's not just Philemon that's uncomfortable. Think about Onesimus. Verses 12 through 14, this guy's got to be uncomfortable. And how would you like these words said to you after you're saved and you're a slave? I'm sending him back. Now, that would kind of rock your world, wouldn't it? Really? Really, Paul? I have to, I mean, can I just be forgiven? I mean, can't we just start new right here? No, I'm sending you back. You, therefore, receive him. That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. More pressure by Paul. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. Always oh, going to be a nice guy. That your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were. Oh, but voluntary. I am sending you back. You can almost hear the gulp, can't you? Just, oh, oh, I'm sending you back. Onesimus the slave is returning to the slave master. And you know what that means. That could mean death. It's got to be uncomfortable after stealing from his master. That has to be uncomfortable. A crime punishable by death or at least beatings. Beat to a pulp. Onesimus must feel a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of discomfort. The principle is this. Hear this loud and clear. It's always, always, always difficult, uncomfortable to do the right thing. You realize that? Because your flesh wants to take the easy way. Easy way. Wants to kind of manipulate its way through this. Tippy-toe through this. A master tippy-toeing through the tulips, trying not to take accountability. Do not allow these feelings to rule you. Make the changes necessary. Folks, we are all a work in progress. There's a slide here that'll come up. There are only two options. Make progress or, this is what a lot of us do, make excuses. This is the progress ladder and the excuses ladder will always keep you from growing. I can't. It's too hard. I don't feel like it. Have those words ever come from you? Yeah, of course. We're, 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 we're still fighting the flesh. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I can't, don't feel like it. It's a progress killers. Paul will soften Onesimus' landing. We need people to soften our landing. Paul is doing that for Onesimus. You therefore receive him, Philemon. I wish to keep him with me. He might minister to me and change for the gospel. I don't want to do this without your consent. He's respectable to Philemon. But Onesimus must have felt uncomfortable. When that journey started, when Tychius took him by the hand with the letter to Philemon and guiding him through the Roman slave catchers, Tychius must have been uncomfortable. Onesimus was uncomfortable during this. But they're expecting Philemon to respond in a godly manner. That is Paul's plea. Verse 15 and 16. God can use the uncomfortable for his good. We need to realize that. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose. 
Oh, God's going to work all things out for good, isn't he? Salvation, that's what he's talking about. That you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave. Oh, no, we're equals. But more than a slave, a beloved brother. A brother or a sister, if you're if, if taking this as a female. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul is making it more and more uncomfortable for Philemon to say no. An uncomfortable Philemon, an uncomfortable Onesimus, both acting contrary to their feelings. Very important. Both acting contrary to their feelings. Both were changed by Jesus. Both rescued from the sea of sin. Now they're brothers. God brings unity, always brings unity. The world, the flesh, and the devil always divide. Look what's happening in our country today. It is not of the spirit. It is of the darkness of the enemy causing division within our country. Using whatever methodology that he can use, the enemy, he'll use anything. People against people, situations, germs against people, masks against unmasked, vaccines against unvaccine. I mean, everybody's in this turmoil, and people are in disarray, and there's disunity. That is always, always a picture of Satan. Chaos. Chaos. Paul is making it uncomfortable for Eileman to say no. To say no. And I can almost see Paul's wheels turning. Listen to this. He wrote to the Romans. And remember what he wrote to the Romans. The condition of every human being. You know this. We're all slaves to sin. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that does good. There's none that seeks after God. None, 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 none. We're all in that none group. And then we have the, the, the rescue. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, look at We are all in the same boat as Onesimus. Slaves of some sort to sin. We have been in the sea of sin, and we were drowning in our sin. You too, Philemon, deserve to drown in your sin. And then Jesus came in his boat and rescued you. And tell me if this didn't happen to you. This is sin. And this is what it wants to do to you down here, this little bitty dot you, just coming and caving in on you. And then what did Jesus do? He came in his boat and he rescued you. This is our rescuer. I love this picture. Rescued by Jesus from the, just the awfulness, the ugliness, the roar, the chaos of sin. That is what our Jesus did. Philemon, this is what Jesus did for you. Are you feeling a little uncomfortable, Philemon? I bet he is. God is using this uncomfortable situation for his glory. And let me suggest this to you. He does this all the time. This is the routine for God. To make you uncomfortable for his glory. God makes people uncomfortable for one reason. So that they change. No one comes into the body of Christ to be the same. Okay, I'm born again, I made it, I'm getting into heaven. Just leave me alone now, I can just do my thing. That is not what Christianity is about. That is not what Christianity is about. He's going to ramp up the pressure in 17 through 24. It's going to get more uncomfortable. Watch his language. If then you count me as a partner, 
This is hard language. He's ramping it up. Receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. More pressure. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. Oh, this is more pressure. It's more significant. I will repay, not to mention to you, that you owe me even your own self besides. You know the New Living Translation says, you owe me your very soul, Philemon. Is that not ramping up the pressure? Yes, it is. Yes, brother, let me have joy from the Lord, from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. He's already presuming that he's forgiving. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. He just keeps ramping. And then the crescendo. Watch this one. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. I'm going to be coming to visit you. We will see what you did, <laughs> Philemon. I, for I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. He's constantly making it uncomfortable. Paul is making it more and more and more uncomfortable for Philemon to say no. How could Philemon say no after you get a letter like this? How could you? Philemon had to forgive because Paul said so? No, it's because Jesus said so. Forgiveness is the Jesus way. And we've said this in our last talk. Forgiveness is good for you. Forgiveness is healthy for you. Forgiveness releases you from the torturers. Remember, an unforgiving spirit is a bitter, tortured spirit. Philemon, Jesus expects you to forgive, to go beyond your feelings. And this is the same for us. God expects this of us as His people. And I can guarantee you, it may not be comfortable, but it will be for, good, for your good. A healthy soul mind, thoughts, emotions, feelings, is a forgiving soul. In closing, there are fellow warriors who are with Paul who had to be uncomfortable. Fellow warriors that are out here listening to us on Facebook or YouTube or wherever you're at. We are fellow warriors. We have all experienced a degree of discomfort in this side before we get to heaven. 23 through 25, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. Sounds like he was in the battle. As do Mark, Aristarchus, and Demas. And by the way, Demas is with him now, but abandoned ship in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Deserted because he loved the world. Could not get away from the world. Luke, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul had a few with him. And I don't know if you know this, how important it is, but it's important to know that you are not alone in this struggle. There are other warriors that are with you. Other men and women of steel who will stand and not be moved. In the culture fight that we are in, you are not the Lone Ranger fighting evil and indoctrination for yourself. Remember, the Lone Ranger rides again. But we are not the Lone Ranger. We're all in this. And the reason I got this, because I, I like this gun. <laughs> and it's fighting the indoctrination and the brainwashing of our culture. Because it is a fight. It is a fight for control of the mind. And remember, we're living in a culture where you hear things over 
and over and over. The mind gets conditioned to receive that. That is why we must be together encouraging one another with the truth to not be indoctrinated to what the culture is saying. Okay? The Lone Ranger rides again. Philemon, Jesus expects you to forgive, to go beyond your feelings. We said this multiple times. I guarantee it'll be uncomfortable. Warriors, there are men and women who stand like a bull in the blizzard in a world that hates them. Now, I purposely didn't put up the bull because you've seen the bull so many times. But anyway, you know, that stout dude standing there, not moved. Remember, the world hates the people of God. They hate your Jesus. They hate his word. They hate the church. You know what they really hate? A biblical world view. It conflicts. It conflicts with the Marxist worldview, which is being perpetrated on us today as the progressives have gained more and more control. And I want to say this. Don't be brainwashed. Be word-washed. I thought I'd get an amen for that. Let's, I'm going to do that one more time and then say a real loud amen, okay? Don't be brainwashed. Be word-washed. Amen. Thank you. Give myself an Oh, good. Amen. Marxism does this. If you submit to me, the Marxist God is very tricky. If you submit, I'll give you everything that you want. Free. Free health care. Free education. Free money. Free housing. Free clothing. Free, 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 free. If I will only submit to the Marxist God. But you know what Marxism doesn't tell you? It gives you just enough free to just barely live above a, a, a menial level. If you look at any country where Marxism dominates, Russia, China, communism in, in general, you will always see the elite prospering and you'll see the people barely making it, scratching it out. But what have they told us in America with Marxism? That it's all going to be spread out, we're going to all spread the wealth, and we're all going to live at a higher level. It has never happened in the history of Marxism in this country. That is a lie. That is a lie. Don't buy into it. Free, free, free. Enslaved to the government God. Fact. God always asks us to go into uncomfortable land with him. Not alone. There will be brothers and sisters that will be with us also, but God is with you. And no one ever said it would be comfortable to be a Christian. No one ever said that. No one ever promised you that. Well, the health and wealth did, which is a lie doctrine, okay? It's a, it's a lying teaching. And have you noticed, and I bet you have, it's getting more uncomfortable for true Christians today. Your family looks at you differently. You're weird. What's wrong with you? You really believe this stuff? I mean, you don't believe what's on the media? Well, science, science, science says, science says, and then they change it. And then they change it. And then they change it. But this is what science... And then they change it. No. Your family looks at you weird. Your friends look at you weird. Your workmates look at you weird. The majority of the world see you as a weirdo. And all I can say is, hip, hip, hooray for weirdos. <laughs> Folks, this is our time. This is our time. We are not home yet. We are in occupied enemy territory. Aliens and strangers, it says in the book of Hebrews. It will be uncomfortable because I say so? Oh, no. 
Jesus said so, John 15, 19. Watch this. If you were of the world, this world system, if you were of this system, the world would just love its own. It would just love you. Notice how it loves itself. Look at the Academy Awards. It just loves itself. The Oscars, the Emmys, it just loves itself. It would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, men and women of God, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, it's not comfortable to be hated. We all want to be liked. You know, would, I don't know how much of a people pleaser you are, but I would like to please people. I would like to have people like me. That's not how it is in our world today. It's not how it is in our world today. If you're a people pleaser, you're going to have a real hard time with this whole concept. I lost my place, so... Give me a moment. <laughs> oh, here we are. Uncomfortable, Jesus said. Serving Jesus in a world that hates Jesus has always been uncomfortable. Just ask the disciples. Just ask the early church. Serving Jesus has always been uncomfortable. The early church. How about the persecuted church today? How about the church in Iran today? And just think about this. The second fastest growing church in the world per capita was the church in Afghanistan. What do you think is happening to them today? If the Taliban find you with an iPhone, with a Bible app, they kill you. Now that's how gentle Islam is. Radical Islam. That's how gentle it is. Very tolerant. They will kill you. Uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to be a Christian in Afghanistan, for sure. The church in the West, I think this is a true statement. When I say the West, America, Canada, Europe, Australia, what we commonly look at of those nations, have, have an aversion, a disdain for being uncomfortable. Now, you guys are doing something really different here today. Everybody in this room is uncomfortable. Right? I mean, you're uncomfortable. I'm sticky. Okay, I want to get in the air conditioning. I'm an American. I like my comforts, okay? But you are actually sitting here listening to this. Uncomfortable. Can't wait till I get done. It'll be there soon. <laughs> uncomfortable. I have a disdain for it. Listen, the flesh never wants to be uncomfortable. That is a rule. Powder me. Pamper me. Please me. Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Flesh, just, it's all about me. Feed me, entertain me, it's all about me. Serving, serving is something, it's the antithesis, the antithesis of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the Western church. Christians are, you should serve me. That's, that's the attitude. All you guys serve me. I never serve anybody. That is the Western church. Never willing to be uncomfortable. When we talked about the, we just finished our study in the book of, uh, of Revelation. And you know the last church that dominates the church era is the Laodicean church. And we talked about the Laodiceans. Lukewarm, spew you out of your mouth. Thought they were rich and they had everything. And Jesus says, you're wicked, blind, and naked. You're not in the family. Come into the family, Laodiceans. Come into the family. He's pleading with them. He's pleading with them. The Laodiceans are never uncomfortable. The Laodiceans want to be entertained. Show me the next best thing. Entertainment is their goal. The end-time church that apostatizes, falls away, never wants to be uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, 
when you look at the end times church, they are king babies. All the attention goes to me. It's all about me. And believe me, I've been in that. I've been a king baby. I'm going to a church just because they have the basketball team, just because they have the softball team, just because the guy can preach and make me laugh. That's what, no, no depth. No, no depth whatsoever. Laodiceans want to be entertained. For the true church, something to think about. It's uncomfortable to live not by lies. That was the book, remember? Erwin Lutzer's, or excuse me, Rod Dreyer's, Live Not by Lies. It's uncomfortable to not be silenced. It's uncomfortable to see, judge, and act, to speak the truth. And we've been through all of those in past teachings. It's uncomfortable to have to stand for the truth in a sea of lies and distortions and brainwashings. It's uncomfortable. Nevertheless, God asks us, God actually commands us to stand. Ephesians 6.13, having done all to stand. With your armor on, stand, church. 1 Corinthians 16.13 and 14, watch, watch, remember this, stand fast in the faith. Be brave, be strong. Let everything you do be done in love. When you tell someone the truth, that's the greatest act of love you can give them. Tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Don't just agree with their, with their lifestyle. That's not loving them. That's not loving them. You do not stand alone. And it's a great comfort to know that God still has many who have not bowed. It's a great comfort to know, again, that you are not alone. Let me ask you this question. And I think this is a rhetorical question. Have you ever felt alone in this battle? Yes! Yes! You leave here, you're out there on your own. You're hanging out there on your lonesome. At least that's how you feel. <coughs> Don't feel like the Lone Ranger. Elijah felt the same way. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 through 18. You don't have to turn there because I'm going to go through this rather quickly. I don't know if I can find my spot. Watch what he says. Elijah has had great victories against the Ashtra, the Baal worshippers. Phenomenal victories. Jezebel threatens him, and then he runs for his life, and he hides. Okay? And then God finally feeds him, nourishes him, gives him some refreshing, gives him a little break, a little rest, the ravens and all that. And then he speaks with him in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. And he says to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and the Lord was not in the strong wind. And then the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then the Lord was not in the fire. But you know how the Lord spoke to him? Elijah had to still himself to hear the still, small voice of God. A still, small voice. And then he instructs Elijah, and he says these words. God to Elijah, what are you doing here? How did you get here? A little introspection. Where are you at in your life? How in the world did you get here? He knows the answer. He wants Elijah to do some introspection. How did you get here? And Elijah goes, I've been very zealous for the Lord God. You know, he's all teary. I tore down the altars. I did all this stuff. And, and I'm the, I, just, I did everything. And God says, stop, stop. In verse 15, 
go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And you arrive there, you're going to anoint a king, and you're going you're to have Elijah take over your mantle. And then he says this, which I think should resonate with each one of us when we're out there feeling alone. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. He is not alone. Paul was not alone. Paul had Mark. Paul had Luke. Paul had friends, Aristarchus. He had people that were with him, that didn't abandon him. He was not alone. You are not alone. And never, ever, ever forget this. God and you are a majority. Now, I want you to think about something. When you have a voice that is contrary to what is, put that there, what is contrary to what the world is saying, and you don't walk lockstep with what the world is saying, and you use your words and say, no, take a pause, that is not true. That has, the, that has an effect on other people who have been brainwashed. And it goes from being 99% of the people walking one way to 95% saying, I think I'm going to rethink this because one person stands out. One Bonhoeffer stood off in Germany. There was more than Bonhoeffer, but there was just a, a few of them that stood up. And the people started to think differently about what was going on with Hitler. It takes one voice. I would encourage you, one voice when you think you're all alone. Be that voice for your God. Be that voice for your God. In a culture that wants you silenced, speak the truth. And hear this as it come up. One word of truth can dispel a world of lies. We went through that in our last teaching. Oz Guinness said this. Remember, he was the Christian philosopher. The enemy of persistent lies is the truth. Is the truth. You know what frightens Marxism more than anything? It's the truth. It's the truth. It's the reason YouTube bans people, Facebook bans people, Twitter bans people, cancel voices, censor the truth. They will allow the Taliban on Twitter, but they will take John MacArthur off. Isn't that something? Isn't that off of YouTube? A Christian voice. Allow Paul's words to encourage you to speak the truth when it's uncomfortable. Paul was uncomfortable. Listen to these words in Ephesians chapter 6, 19 and 20. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. And he's asking everyone in his sphere of influence, everyone that has followed him, and he says this, Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me that I may fearlessly make known the gospel of Christ who I'm an ambassador of change. Pray that I declare it fearlessly as I should. It's uncomfortable, folks, to speak the truth. Even the apostle Paul was uncomfortable. But the man did it. The man did it. In our uncomfortable world, may you stand immovable with the truth and fearlessly proclaim to all the mystery of the gospel. Be men and women of steel. Be men and women of courage. And let me say this loud and clear, and maybe you can join me. We will not be silenced. 
We must not be silenced. Erwin Lutzer wrote, wrote the book. And I'm telling you, this guy is 80 years old and he's still at it. He is not retired. There's no such thing as retirement in Christianity, by the way. Just so we know that, right? Okay. We will not be silenced. It's in our bookstore. I would highly recommend it. It will tell you what's going on in our world today and how Christians should have a Christian response. There's no place for us to get jugular veined like I am right now, you know, in our response to the world. We do it with gentleness and respect, but we have the courage to speak the truth. 80 years old and still faithful. This is our time. You're living at this time. This is your time. An uncomfortable time for sure. And may we, during this time, may we be found faithful. May we not fumble the ball. May we hold on to the ball. And may we strengthen what remains. As Jesus said to the church of Sardis in Revelation 3.2, new beginnings may be uncomfortable, oh no. New beginnings will be uncomfortable. This is the word of the living God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you have spoken to each heart that somehow, some way, you've spoken to each one of us. And I know that in a talk, people come in and out, and thoughts go in and out, and all that, but I know that you have, through your spirit, have spoken to each one of us. Now may we not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. May we change those things that need to be changed. May we be men and women of courage to do the uncomfortable, to move beyond our feelings, and to act in concert with your word and with your spirit. I ask you that in the name of Jesus, Lord. Speak to each one of us. Help me, God, to be a great representative to you in this culture. Help all the me's in here to represent you with excellence. And may we use our words in our lives to influence the culture around us. In Jesus' name, amen.